Hello, all you beautiful people. This is Optimistically Depressed, and I am your ever-loving host, Ruth McMullen. We are proudly supported by Simple Rituals Skincare. We love them, and they love us. And you should go visit them at simplerituals.ca because you will be amazed by the stuff that they have. Seriously, it's incredible. I am so thrilled to have Mike Musso back. He was the first guy that kicked off Optimistically Depressed. He was my first podcast, and he's back again because he just has so much more to share. Hi, Mike. Hello. How's it going? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> good. Back for round two. Back for round two. I'm so happy that you're back. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, uh, how was your day? Um, it was good. Just came from a massage, so. Oh, um, massages. Oh, great. They're Greatest so invention good. ever. Oh, my goodness. I went and got one. So, I have my eye massage by Justin Brown at Massage Experts in Halifax. He is incredible. He's like, he's like the wizard of massages. Yeah. Those people are always the best. Oh my goodness. Um, I remember the first guy I went to who was like certified deep tissue was like this massive man. And so <laughs> it hurt a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, Justin can definitely make me cry and thank oh, yeah. him at the same time. It's weird, yeah. but it's because he just understands he understands how it works. Yeah, I think I have, I bounce between three therapists. <laughs> One specializes in like neck and like face stuff. Um, and then Bruce Bradley is a naturopath downtown and he does like acupuncture and a bunch of like crazy Chinese medicine. Whoa. Yeah, he'll put pins in my ears and I'm like, oh, it's wild. <gasps> um, and the body reacts to the ear and it's, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and then the woman I saw today, Miranda Cameron, is amazing. She's a a lady wizard, I guess. A lady wizard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Actually, um, Justin massaged my mouth one time. Like, the muscles in my jaw. But yeah. he had, like, to access one of the muscles, he had to, like, he Inside. went in. And it was, like, one of the most unusual experiences I've ever had but I had had headaches for days up until that point and then when he massaged it like the headache went away yeah and it was like I should probably send him like some kind of thank you gift (laughs) I used to tip my therapists yes but that becomes expensive (laughs) it does get expensive I know but it's just like man if I could I would tip him the world oh yeah I have a lot of lower back issues and um, the girl who actually specializes in, like, neck and jaw stuff, um, she worked on my lower back, but she did it from, like, my stomach. So she went in, like, through my stomach and, like, was moving everything to get, like, underneath. Oh. Yeah, oh, it was the weirdest, because I could feel her, like, moving everything, and it was the weirdest, most uncomfortable feeling ever. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt great afterwards, so like, it was worth it. rearranging all of my organs. Yeah. Yeah, she, uh, while she was doing that, she actually told me about a female client she had, um, and she was doing the same thing, and she ended up finding a tumor that the woman had on her ovaries. Oh my goodness. Yeah, because she could feel, like, 
the abnormality in her stomach. Yeah, it's wild. That is wild. Wow. Those people, they know their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Mike. So Ruth. Talk to me. Um, what? I don't know what we're talking about today. Yeah, well, okay. You had mentioned, you had, so, like, again, like, when we, when we first got together a couple months ago now. Yeah. You told me just so many incredible stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the stories that you told me was, you talked to me about Alan. Yeah. And I was wondering if you'd be interested in talking more about about Alan tonight. Yeah, for sure. Um, so for those who don't know, um, my best friend Alan Frazier was in a workplace, a workplace, a work-related accident um, where he fell off an apartment complex and died. Um, and yeah, I thought it was probably the most earth-shattering, life-changing phone call I ever got. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was... He was the kid who, like... He was always the first person to, like, climb trees. And he would always be, like, the first person to climb to the top. Like, he had absolutely no fear. Um, he wasn't the kind of person who, like, cared about what anybody thought of him. He was just, like, super free-spirited and... Um, adventurous and courageous so the fact that like he died the way he did i think was a shock to everybody um yeah yeah and um where did this fit in as far as your like the timeline of the other things that you talked about in the other in your uh last podcast so i think everything up to the last podcast pretty much um took me to my late teens and early 20s, maybe. Um, Yeah, because I think I finally dealt with um, the sexual abuse when... Oh, maybe... Maybe that was after Alan. Um, yeah, so right around, like, the end of, like, the really um, heavy struggles related to that um, in the early 20s. And then Alan passed away in 2013. So that would have been, I think it was a month, a month and a half before his 22nd birthday. Wow. So, yeah, I would have, I think I would have been 21. Yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of, uh, I got over one hump and then hit another one. Yeah, like, so, we haven't really, I'm trying to think if we've talked a lot about grief on uh, on here. I feel like it's a topic that we haven't really covered a lot so far, and it's, uh, like, I, I've experienced some grief, and it's, just what one thing that I learned about it is that it's not predictable. No. And that there is no clear cut way to deal with it. No. Just that 
I learned the hard way, ignoring it is not the best thing to do or to try to avoid, you know, when you feel the all the emotions coming up, it's not good to like yeah. try to push those I was, back down. Yeah, I did the exact same thing. You did the exact same yeah. thing. Um, so even before Alan, um, my grandmother had passed away three months prior. Um, I had come back from a music festival and my parents called me and they were like, uh, um, your grandmother passed away. We're going up to Ontario tomorrow. Um, yeah, we'll uh, see you when we get back. We don't see you beforehand. So I rushed over to my parents' place and hugged my mom and tried to figure out what was going on because I had to go back to work like the next day. Um, and I didn't have the money to fly to Ontario. Um, and everything just kind of happened so fast. So I got home, got the news. My parents left, and now all of a sudden I'm, like, by myself on my own trying to process this death because it was the first – actually, no, I shouldn't say that. It wasn't the first family death, but it was the first, like, close family death. Yeah. Um, so I remember I got back home to my apartment, um, and I started to get emotional, and I started to cry. And then I was like, no, like, you're a man – it happens, it's life, like, you're not crying over this, just suck it up and move on. Um, and it kind of, like, the whole situation kind of um, worked itself out. My grandfather ended up flying me up so I could be there with everybody, and that was sweet. Um, and then I came home and just kind of, like, moved on with life. Mm -hmm. And then Alan died, um... And that just kind of started the whole process over again. But I was in the same mindset where I just, like, I didn't want to be um, emotional over it. Um, and I just... You didn't want to be emotional over it. You said yeah. before it was because men don't cry. Is yeah. that is that why you didn't want to be emotional over um, it? Or no, I think I was just, like, in this weird headspace where I thought I needed to grow up... Um, like a lot faster than I was. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what put me in that mindset. Um, and I mean, like, I cried. I cried a lot over Alan. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I called my dad um, and heard my dad get emotional because my dad's like this huge stoic, like stone face guy. And he doesn't get emotional over everything. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I told him and heard him, like, that's when I started getting really upset about it. Yeah. Um, and then I had to, I had to call other friends. Um, I had to call, my mom was in Ontario again, taking care of my grandfather. So I had to call her and I couldn't get a hold of her. Um, and I had to make sure that the people that already knew didn't put it on line because I was on my way to my girlfriend's place at the time, and she was also best friends with Alan. So it was, yeah, it was a mess. <laughs> yeah. To say the least. Yeah. I kind of wonder, like, so I remember you saying before that it wasn't until you spoke with your dad that and heard him have an emotional response to the death of your friend that you it started to feel more real to you. Yeah. And I kind of wonder, like... So correct me if I'm wrong, but could it be that like because he is a like a man in your life and 
I would assume someone that you would look up to for like guidance and how totally. a man should be. Yeah. Was it seeing that um, a man, a man can get emotional over that all of a sudden make you feel like, okay, I can kind of, I can let go and I can be sad about this or was like, I think it was just like the emotional response to my dad's like emotions because like Al and I had been friends for almost a decade. So he was always around the house. Uh, My parents knew him. My parents knew his family. Um, and it was just so sudden. So my dad was like shocked. And as soon as I heard that, it was like, shit, this is like, this is real. This is real. Um, yeah. And then having to tell somebody in person, like the phone calls, I've made those phone calls, um, once before and it was kind of really awkward and it was about somebody that I didn't know. Um, I just, I was the only buddy who, the only person who could contact like a friend of, um, the deceased, but to make those calls to people, you know, about somebody like everybody cares about is really difficult. And then to have that face to face conversation, um, and have to like convince somebody that like, this is real life and this is happening is probably one of the most like disheartening and heartbreaking things to do. So when you were grieving, were you grieving with friends? Yeah. Um, so we have, we had an amazing support system. Um, Alan passed away on a Thursday. Um, and I spent the day or I spent the night, um, and all day Friday at my girlfriend's house. Um, and then Friday we went to DJ's, um, his mother's Darlene, um, so we went, yeah, we went there. Everybody showed up. Um, God, it must have been like a 20-person like celebration, I guess, because that's pretty much all we did. We just talked and drank and cried and <laughs> um, remembered and all, yeah, we all grieved together. So I think that was probably like the biggest, most helpful process of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Um, I find grief interesting. I don't, I don't recall being part of many conversations around grief and it would have been so helpful for, for me to have had more conversations about grief because when I went, like when I lost my grandmother, like I found... I found it to be such a difficult experience because, like, first of all, like, you, part of you, for me, like, for me, I was just thinking, well, yeah, she was old. Like, she had just turned 90, right? Like, it's, like, she was old. She was going to die. Yeah. And, like, this should not be a surprise for me. But she was such a huge part of my life and Mm -hmm. a consistent part of my life that it was just really difficult to to get used to not having her there. Yeah. And, like, even now, it's been almost three years since she died and I'm still like I will still cry over her like not being in my life anymore yeah like I want to tell her stuff yeah and like I just I want to have a conversation about I think like I want to have a conversation about grief totally let's talk about grief because it's such a like I've found that 
like for me, I had a lot of grief shaming just from people that had never like from people that hadn't really experienced grief themselves. And I got a lot of like, why aren't you over this already? And like, what's your problem? Yeah. And I like I had no idea. Right. Like it was just kind of like, I don't know. what Like, I don't know why I'm not over this. Like, I feel like I should be over this because there's not anything I can do about it. Mm-hmm. Like and it was just really isolating and it made me feel a little like I was losing it. And so like there, you must have had similar experiences. Yeah. Um, it's again, like when Alan died, I just wanted everything to go back to normal. Um, I, I think I was back in the gym, like three days after it happened. And Mm -hmm. I just like, I ended up leaving because I couldn't focus and I was like, I was mad at myself because I just like couldn't, the gym was my happy place and I couldn't like, I couldn't be happy there. Hmm. Um, And then I was back at work, I think a week later. um, And I think I lasted two days and ended up having an emotional breakdown um, because of everything that was going on and I just like wasn't ready to get back to life. Hmm. Um, but it was, yeah, just, it came in waves and it came in, um, just the most like sporadic times, I guess. And it wasn't like with like younger people, nobody, like it's such an unexpected like turn of events. Like nobody, nobody, in my experience anyway, nobody was ever like, why aren't you over this already? Um, But I think it was just because I made the choice to um, suffer by myself that I was just making it a lot harder for myself. Um, The depression came back full force. Um, the night Alan died was the night that I found out that he was also very depressed, um, and dealing with like suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. Um, and I felt really guilty over the fact that like as his best friend, I didn't know. Um, and when the depression came for me and I started having suicidal thoughts, my brain automatically went to, okay, like if this is what Alan went through right before he died, what's going to happen to you kind of thing. And that instilled a whole new sense of fear and anxiety. Um, yeah. And that, that was something else that I kind of just held on to by myself until I hit a breaking point. Um, and I ended up going to my mom one night, broke down and I just kind of like blurted that out and she was like, Oh, well that makes perfect sense. And I was like, really? And she's like, yes. Um, and she explained it to me in a way that made sense um, and kind of made me feel better about the whole thing and made me realize that there was a solid chance that I was not going to die. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> it Yeah, it, it helped. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, um, who, like, did you, so then did you have, like, a network of people that you felt you could talk to about all of those things or was your mom... My mom was kind of the only one, I guess. Um, It was... It was around the time where I hit, like, a new low um, with my mental health. 
and I wasn't, I was in between jobs. Um, so I wasn't really like, I had nothing really to distract myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally realized this was probably a year or so after Alan had passed away. I'd realized that like I had held everything in for so long that like I forgot how to talk to people and I forgot how to open up. So I'd like, I didn't have that ability anymore. So I was literally just like suffering by myself. Um, wow. And so my mom would do like anything and everything she could to get me out of the house, whether it was to just like go to the grocery store with her and pick stuff up or we would go on um, walks around the neighborhood or um, at the parks or whatever just to get fresh air and we would talk um, and she would kind of share her experiences with um, grief and loss and depression and stuff like that. And that was, that was like the first time my mom um, had kind of admitted that she was wrong. I shouldn't say wrong, but like the way that she approached her depression when I was younger, like wasn't the right way. Mm. Um, And it probably did more harm than good when it came to um, the things that I was dealing with, like as I got older and stuff like that. So we, uh, we got a lot closer, like in that period and Okay. So that's so, that's so interesting. It's so interesting to me that, um, like how personal grief is. Yeah. And I like, I, I just wonder, like, I wonder, should it be such a, like in a way, yes, it should be such a personal thing because it is, it's different for each person and you need to go through your own personal process. Yeah. And I, I understand that, you know, a lot of people are just very, you know, they like to keep things more quiet and to themselves and that's, yeah. and that's what's healthy for them. But I also just like, I wish that as far as grief went, it was something that was more openly discussed in society. Yeah. And like looking back at it now, like I'm almost frustrated with myself because like, we had such a huge core group of people and I knew that what I was feeling, everybody was else was feeling at the same time. Um, we were all going through the same thing together. Uh, we were all going through the same loss and I just couldn't bring myself to talk to anybody. Mm. Um, do you like, do you know why you couldn't bring yourself to talk to anybody? No, I think, I think I just got so used to, um, being alone Um, I just, I don't know if it was because like, I just didn't see a point in it or I figured that it was just something I could get through by myself. Um, cause I lost a lot, I lost a lot of people that year. Um, so it was just kind of like a steady cycle of grief. Um, I'd lost my grandmother in August, I think. Um, and then three months later I lost Alan. I had a friend move back home to Europe in January, I think, January or February. Um, my relationship of two years had ended in May or June of that year. And then my best friend, um, was posted to 
Ontario with the military. Whoa. Um, yeah, so within the span of a year, 14 months, I lost, like, five different people. Mm. Um, and it just, each person kind of knew, like, a different story or a different side of me. And I just, I didn't want to reopen those stories with anybody else. So I just kind of shut myself out and dealt with everything internally. It is, it is exhausting sharing parts of yourself with people. (laughs) Yeah. I get not wanting to open up to more people because it is, it's so tiring. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, sorry. No, you go ahead. Um, yeah, when uh, everything I went through in junior high when I was younger happened, um, I told, like, I told multiple people, um, and it was really surprising, like, the amount of people who, like, came back and told me they've been through, like, similar situations. Um, but it wasn't until I got older and kind of, like, realized the extent of the damage and how personal it really was that I was just like, okay, like... I don't have the energy to talk about this with five different people. Um, And as I got to know, like, different people, like, new people, it was just like, yeah, I don't know. It was that combined with I don't know how they would react to it. Um, And, yeah, it was... Yeah, it gets exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Making yourself vulnerable and open to other people's. It's like you're making yourself completely open to their like criticism or yeah. disapproval. And yeah. And I don't, I didn't realize until like well after Alan died and you would run into people like old school friends um, or people that just like you hadn't seen in a while and they'd be like holy shit like so alan died and you have to just like relive the same conversation over and over again and they want to know what happened or how it happened um or how you're doing and it just it's just it's a terrible terribly exhausting conversation to have especially when like you're not over it yourself mm-hmm so, okay, so then, like, as far as, like, then grieving goes, talking to lots of people about it is not necessarily helpful. No. So then what is helpful? Like, can you, can you pinpoint something that was very helpful for you? Um, for me, I think the biggest thing was telling myself that it was an accident um, when it came to light that Alan was dealing with depression a lot of people um, speculated that it might have been suicide Mm. and for me that just like it wasn't a possibility Um, um, yeah for me Alan like it I don't know I think for Alan, like, if he were to do something, like, if he were to commit suicide, he would have done so in a way that, like, 100% surefire, like, it would have worked. Like, if you fall, you're not guaranteed 
to die. Like you might break your legs or you might break your back and become like paraplegic or something, but like there's no guarantee that it's going to kill you. Right. Um, And so for me, I think that was the biggest thing. After he passed, um, his like childhood friend who was working out in Alberta at the time came home and me and my girlfriend at the time and Ryan all went to go see Darlene um, just to talk about everything um it was the first time that ryan was like with people um and had like actual support um and he was the one who ended up bringing it up to darlene um and he just he hit a breaking point and it just kind of came out um and he was so upset over the fact that Alan had promised him, like when Ryan came back home, that they would go out and go hiking and go on adventures and do whatever it was um, that they wanted to do. And I was like, look, Ryan, like if Alan made you a promise, like there's no way he would have, like he'd break it, especially over like something like this, especially over suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, just resting on the fact that it was an accident um and the way that we were kind of told what had happened is like a very plausible accident okay just made me feel a lot better about the whole thing okay and then like and do you find that talking with people who you're really close with and who already kind of know the situation like was that more helpful yeah um Again, we had we had a solid core group of like eight to ten people, um, and I think all within six weeks, five of us ended up getting tribute tattoos for him. So that was all something that we could share and talk about and express. Um, and I have a couple friends who are very like openly emotional, so if they were going through like a particularly tough time over. Alan's death like it was a lot easier for them to talk about it and it was a lot easier for like the conversation to come out um and did you find like was it helpful for you when they talked about it um yes and no it was nice that like it was being talked about um but again like I was so shut off at the time it just like I could relate, but I didn't really want to talk about it. Um, Actually, I'm going to backtrack again. Um, One of the biggest things that helped me get over it was buying his his plot marker, I guess. Okay. Um, So when Alan died, his family was in a really tough spot financially. His dad had been laid off... um, a couple years prior, but he was like a big car salesman in the city. Mm. Um, so when he got laid off, he wasn't working. And then when he finally did start working again, he had to start from the bottom. So he wasn't making near enough money and they were kind of relying just on like a single income family. Mm. Um, so when Alan died, they didn't have money for like a funeral. Um, they didn't have money to get a headstone. They didn't have money to bury him. Um, His grandmother ended up allowing, like, his family to bury him with his grandfather. Um, And a bunch of us ended up, along with 
like some of his family ended up um, organizing fundraisers to help raise money to cover all the funeral costs. So me and my buddies held um, like a charity show. Um, a bunch of live bands came out to play. Wow. A bunch of like old high school friends came out to play. Um, it was sweet. Wow. And then his family ended up holding a silent auction. Um, and between the two, like they covered the funeral costs. Um, but for the longest time, like he didn't have a plot marker and that was a really big, a really big issue for me. Um, and I think it was a year or two later, his mom came to us with like just these little plaques that a coworker of hers had done up for her. Um, and she had a couple done up for us and it, it was really nice and it really like it portrayed Alan, um, there, it was like an etched picture of him on a hike. He was like standing on a rock with a sword um, <laughs> stretched out. Yeah, it's, it was a sweet picture. That and then epic. it had a little, just like a little blurb um, and some wolf paw prints, um, which was his favorite animal. And so that was that was kind of like a temporary solution for a while. But, like, being out in the sun, the etching, like, faded. So it was just kind of this blank brass plate after a year or so. Okay. And it, uh, yeah, it just, it didn't sit right with me. So one day I reached out to um, just a couple friends. And I was like, hey, like, I really want to do this for his family. Um, I don't know what it's going to cost. I'm just looking for interest to see, like who would want to help chip in and nobody asked twice. Like it was, I think Alan's like childhood friend, the one who had worked out in Alberta was like, actually I didn't even ask or he didn't even ask me like how much I just got a notification saying that he had sent me $500 and I'm like, Whoa. dude, like there's a lot of people who want in on this, like back it up a bit. <laughs> like I appreciate it. Like it was, it was amazing. Um, but yeah, I called and ended up speaking with, um, a company who would do it up and it was, God, I don't even think it was a thousand dollars, but I think within a week I had 10 people actually like give me money for it. Wow. And then I had a bunch more people who had said they would, but like they just, our schedules couldn't line up and they couldn't get back to me in time. So, um, but yeah, we had more than enough money. I remember Darlene had messaged me and she was one of the ones who had messaged me later on and was like, how much do you need? And I'm like, we're set. Like, thank you, but we're set. And she said that like, whatever cost, um, if we didn't have enough, like she would just pay the difference. Oh. Um, but I was just like, yeah, no, like we're set, but I like deeply appreciate like you helping us out. And she's like, no, like you're taking my money. I don't care what you like, what it goes towards, but I'm getting in on this. And I was just like, okay, like I can't <laughs> say no. <laughs> so I mean, she pitched in and she bought a huge bouquet. Um, mm. But yeah, me, Ryan and... I think at the time I was dating Kirsten. Yeah. Me, um, Ryan, and Kirsten uh, met up with Alan's parents one night. And um, I think I lied to them 
I said that I needed to talk to them about something. I don't remember what it was. But I was just like, hey, like, or I think I messaged his sister, one of his sisters. And I was like, hey, like, I want to talk to you and the family about something, like, super important. Um, if we could get everybody together and, yeah, sit down and talk about this, I'd super appreciate it. And they were on board and we showed up with flowers in a box and, um, yeah, ended up showing off the, uh, the plot marker and it was the exact same, um, the exact same design or picture or whatever as what, like, his mom had gotten done, um, where, like, I had a copy of it. I was just like, this is what we want. Like, take a picture, scan it, do whatever you want, but, like, this is what's going on the thing. And it was perfect yeah and so we sat them down and got them to open the box and it was a fucking waterworks <laughs> for everybody they were floored um and so incredibly grateful but i think after that for me that was like the biggest bit of closure i guess because it mean like it meant that he could like properly be at rest and on display um, yeah. So it sounds like, um, okay, first of all, I'm teared up. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is a, like, that's so beautiful. Um, it sounds like doing things to honor the person who has passed away is like very therapeutic. Yeah. Um, every year on the seventh, which is like his anniversary date, um, his family and a bunch of our friends go out and get sushi and celebrate him. And then we usually go off somewhere and just get loaded and laugh. <laughs> and that's, yeah. Um, typically the 7th, November 7th and December 30th, which is his birthday. We'll either all get together or like the 30th is a lot more difficult just where it's like Christmas and New Year's and everybody's right. typically away. But we usually do try and make the time, um, to get out those are the two days that are guaranteed like I'll be up at his grave talking to him and just catching up and then sporadically like throughout the year if I'm having a tough go then I'll go up and talk to him and just kind of unload everything out out there somewhere wow that's amazing that makes that kind of helped put things together for me, actually. I'm glad. Yeah, because I'm like I'm just thinking like with my grandmother, um, the same thing kind of happens. Like I can't go visit, uh, I can't go visit her grave because it's in Ontario. But uh, my cousin who lives out her out, out here, her and I will get together on uh, March the 21st, which was it, which was her birthday, mm -hmm. and we'll we'll eat Chinese food. Because she loved Chinese food. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, talk about her and do something that we know she would have enjoyed doing. Yeah. Like, spending money on lots of candy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a weird thing. Um, mm. And going back to the tattoo thing, like, that was such, like, a big... I don't want to say honor because, like, it's not honoring me, but, like, we all did it for him. Mm. Um, he had talked about 
for the longest time, like the first tattoo he wanted was going to be a wolf paw print, and he wanted it over his heart. Um, so I think an ex-girlfriend of his, who I'm still like really close with, was the first one to get it. I think she got it like the... God, I don't even think it was a week afterwards that she got it. Mm. Um, and then another friend of ours got this huge, like, um, old traditional, like, wolf portrait on her leg. Um, and for me, I got, I have a paw print on my ribs, but it has the Fraser tartan. It, oh. That's what it's colored in as. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a big one for me. And then. Ryan, Alan's childhood friend, has um, the image of Alan on the rock on his back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. And I think there's a couple more. Another ex of his has got a big old wolf portrait on her ribs, too. But, yeah, everybody was just so on board and, like, didn't care. Like, as long as we could, like, carry on his legacy that way, it was, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, because, like, these people, they, they leave a mark on your life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very symbolic that now he has a mark on your body. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. I like that. That is, like, wow. That's, like, put together so many things for me. <laughs> 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 it only took me, like, three years yeah. to finally, like, realize this. But that's, like... It's hard, man. It's not, like, it's not... Uh... It's not a quick journey because I don't even think it's been a couple, like it's been five years since Alan's passed away, but it's only been a couple years where I've actually like really come to terms about it. Um, after he passed, I was diagnosed with traits of PTSD. Um, I couldn't. I almost had a panic attack every time the phone rang because I was afraid that somebody was going to call me and tell me that somebody had died. Um, I have an incredible fear. I don't want to say fear. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fear <laughs> of falling. Um, I don't like heights to begin with, but like with what happened, like yeah. the added, yeah. I guess a consequence of heights is falling. Yeah. Um, and it didn't really, like, I knew the sensation of falling, like, made me uneasy, but it wasn't until um, this summer where it, like, really hit me. We were at On Tree or Tree Go or whatever it is down at Martok. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I got too bold and tried a black diamond. Um, they have it, yeah, they have it, like, the difficulty difficulty set up like they do the ski hill so the black diamonds are like the really hard ones and I had ended up climbing up this really high like starting point and then they had this like um it's like a rolling log bridge that you had to try and cross but you were like 50 feet up in the air and I just like I couldn't do it the bridge was broken up into three sections so you get to one section and you'd have to like unclip yourself and clip it to like the next portion of the bridge um and it just, yeah, it was bad news. I didn't even get across the bridge, and I had to tap out. But then I was just, like, stuck up there until, like, somebody came and rescued me. And then he, like, put me over to the next section, and they set me up to go down. But they're like, you have to throw yourself off. <gasps> and I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll 
take option B. Yeah, but he was like, yeah, in order to get down, you have to like, and it was literally like I had to lean on the edge and just like fall <gasps> and hope that like these guys were strong enough to actually like stop me from falling. But yeah, and I mean, they were like, it was great. I got down safe, but just like that whole process made me like imagine and like relive what Alan went through. And it just, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time. Um, Do you like in retrospect, are you glad it happened? Um, I mean, yeah, I guess um, it gives me. I don't know. It just, uh, I guess it just gives me strength to like deal with other things like in a controlled environment like that. Like I know I'm going to be safe. Um, and I mean, like anywhere else, like I'm obviously going to be incredibly careful about, um, my surroundings and like what goes on. Um, uh, I think it was like two winters ago. I ended up falling down. I fell down a cliff, essentially. I was waterfall hunting in the winter, and my friend took me out into the middle of nowhere, and I should have, like, called it quits when I stepped out of my car and went, like, knee-deep in snow. (laughs) And I was just in, like, loafers, essentially, and jeans, and it was all bad news, yeah. But when we got to the site, like, we were up on this hill, um, and the waterfall was down below, but the entire hill was just, like, ice. So we're sitting there, like, grabbing onto trees and stuff. So, like, we didn't slip. Um, And I just took a step, and I wasn't holding on to anything. And I literally slid, like, 40 feet down this steep, steep hill and wrapped myself around a tree. And just, like, the whole, I don't know, just, like, that feeling of, like, no control and helplessness is just, like, it is so panic-inducing. Um and yeah, it just, you literally just feel helpless. And it just, every time something like that happens, like the first thought in my head is Alan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I guess it, it all leads to growth regardless. So I can't, I don't know, I can't be too scared of it or I can't let it control certain situations. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness, yeah. I know, it's like, it's weird. Like, grief is something that has to happen while you're, like, grief and adjustment and, like... Yeah. These fears that can be born out of grief. Like, these are things that you need to carry with you and, like, learn how to deal with them while you're still living your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, it like, it recently resurfaced, too. Um, Kirsten's uncle was diagnosed a couple years ago with glioblastoma, um, terminal brain cancer. Um, and he was given, I think he was given like two years. Um, but as it, um, as it progressed and as it got worse and like the calls would come in for updates, it was like every time she got a phone call in my head, it was just like, okay, like, is this the one, like, is this going to be the phone call where like, he's no longer with us um and how am I going to deal with that like it just it was stressful in the sense that like I was watching her lose somebody that she cared about but for me it was also stressful in the sense that like I never knew when it was going to happen and I just like 
I didn't want to get that phone call, I guess. And it, it like, I wouldn't even be getting the phone call. Like it's cursed then, but like I knew how I felt when I got the phone call and I knew how I made other people's feel when like I made that phone call. Um, so I just, I really didn't want to relive that moment. Um, and when it came down to it, when it came to the end of Ken's life, um, it got to the point where he decided to stop taking medication um, and opted for assisted suicide. And the doctors that he was dealing with and that took care of him were gracious enough to like fast track the process for him. Um, so a couple days before he ended up passing, like Kirsten and I got to go in and actually like say goodbye to him properly. Um, which in itself was like a very awkward, hard thing to do. But at the same time, um, he was so like, I don't want to say he was so on board, but he was like, he was so fine with it. Like it was just, I'm sure like the whole aspect of death was there inside of him. But the fact that he was able to go out on his own instead of being eaten away by this disgusting disease, um, I think made the whole process so much easier for everybody. Um, and I mean, like she still has her days and I don't blame her. Like it's a, mm. it's a heavy thing. And this was her first like real like family loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously like it's going to be the hardest hitting, but I think the fact that it happened the way it did kind of changed the process for everybody. Okay. For the better? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, just because, like, the the cancer was so aggressive, I think within three days of um, stopping the medication, he would have seizures. Wow. Um, and whenever his, like, whenever he would experience, um, like, a large volume of emotions, that's what would trigger the seizures. Um, and every time he had a seizure, he would suffer, like, amnesia, so he wouldn't really know what was going on. And then that affects his ability to, like, give consent for the, the process of assisted suicide and stuff. Um, so it was a very, like, delicate thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to be really careful. We had to go in and we had to be, like, upbeat and positive and, like, not emotional, which is a very different thing or a very hard thing to do Yeah. when, like, you know why, like, you're visiting this person. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, uh... Thank you so much for, like, opening up again. Like, yeah. you're... Every time, like, we have a conversation, I'm just like, ah, oh, I <laughs> like him so much. <laughs> you're, you're just, like, you're... you're, Like, I, I love that you're so open and vulnerable. These, like, honestly, as hard and as heavy as these conversations are, like, conversations about Alan are probably my favorite conversations to have. Um... He, yeah, it just, like, he was, 
don't know. He was, like, the person that I wanted to be, like, when I was younger. Like, he was super, like, he was hilarious. And he was, like, just naturally athletic and just, like, naturally looked good. <laughs> um, and he was so outgoing and, again, didn't care what anybody thought of him. Um, and that's, like, every shy, socially awkward kid's, like dream (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so I mean like being able to talk about him and like allow other people to know um just like who he was and how he made like other people feel um and just like paying tribute to him in general I guess are like the best conversations Awesome. That was putting together so many things for me, <laughs> too. Oh, Thank yeah. you. So, um, I like, I usually at the end of the podcast, I ask what it looks like to be men- mentally healthy, but we've already, we've done that. <laughs> and, and I like, I would almost kind of want to ask what it looks like, what you think it looks like to help, grieve in a healthy way. I don't know, like... I I think it boils down the same way. Um, Just talk about it, regardless of how hard it is. When you're dealing with death, you're not... um, You're not alone. Like, you're not alone when you're dealing with mental health either, but it's like mental health is such a hard topic to talk about. And I guess so is death, but... Mm -hmm. um, it's the, I guess the aftermath of death and the consequences of death are visible to everybody who is, um, who is dealing with that grief. Um, so I don't know, I guess in hindsight, it would be a lot easier to talk about. Um, but yeah, the only thing I could really say that helped me was doing things that I knew um, like Alan would do or what he would have wanted to do Um, and just yeah don't don't talk about um, I guess like their absence like talk about them like you would if they were still here um keep i guess uh, do whatever you can to keep the memory alive i guess and over time it does get easier it never goes away but it it does get easier it's like readjusting to the way that they're present in your lives yeah in your life Yeah. yeah whether you believe in resurrection or the afterlife or whatever it's just regardless of where they are i'm sure there's always a part of them that is watching over and making sure that you don't stray too far and they look out for you and stuff like that but yeah awesome thank you so much thank you for coming out here again and and no talking worries. with me yeah, again. Thank it's you always, so much for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure.
And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We like we really appreciate it. And um, if you could do me a favor and rate this and review uh, Optimistically Depressed, that would be awesome. If you could follow me on Instagram at Optimistically Depressed, that would be great. What's your handle? Um, I'm Modern Moose Photo on Instagram. That's mdrnmoose.photo. Um, I'm just Modern Moose Photography on Facebook, I think. That's the extent of my social media. And uh, and Mike's photos are awesome, just so that Shucks. everybody knows there. If you're if you're looking for some some great visual stimulation, go follow him. I love it. Thank you. Oh yeah. Thank you, everybody. Have a great night, morning, afternoon, evening. I love wherever all of you. you. Are. Yeah, wherever you are. <laughs> and remember, we're sitting here loving you. Bye.